Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. One of the best ways you can improve your SEO today and start getting more search traffic is to look for those quick wins. Here's what I do. You want to find all the keywords you're ranking for between positions 2 and 19 in Google. And then you look at each one to see what you can do to increase their rank. This used to be something reserved for professional SEOs who had special knowledge and access to the expensive tools. But now you can do this in minutes with Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. It's completely for free for website owners and makes it almost too easy to find those SEO quick wins. Check it out and sign up for a free account at ahrefs.com awt. I'll have the link in the show notes for you. On the show today is Sean Cannell. As I'll tell you, it rhymes with YouTube channel. Sean is a YouTuber, international speaker, founder of Think Media, and host of the Video Influencers podcast. I wanted to bring him on because no one knows YouTube like Sean. Sean's YouTube channels have over 1 million subscribers, and his videos have been viewed over 100 million times. You'll hear about YouTube SEO and what it takes to rank for competitive keywords, the patterns of viral videos, and the metrics you need to know and how to turn analytics into action, as well as advanced strategies for growing your YouTube channel from scratch. So to start out, I would love to know, did you ever think that you'd be doing YouTube for a living? I don't think I ever thought I'd be doing YouTube for a living. You know, I started uh, video for my local church in 2003, just for my youth group. And I started watching YouTube probably around 2007 or six. And we started a church YouTube channel too in a small town. It's kind of crazy. And it was kind of a, a, a dream though. I was like, wow, I can imagine some early creators like Julian Smith. And I was like, man, that would be amazing. So I think I, think I saw it as like a dream, but as a small town kid, college dropout, Sometimes your small town can make you small-minded, and it seemed out of reach. And I think uh, today they say that more kids want to be YouTubers than astronauts. And so I feel incredibly grateful to be doing full-time, quote-unquote, doing YouTube full-time. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Could you give a, like, kind of rewind and give a brief history of, like, how you got to where you are today, just so we can kind of understand, okay, Sean Cannell, big-time YouTuber, Think Media, but, like, where did he come from? What were the steps that got you to where you are now? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of the genesis event was volunteering at my local church. I became an intern at a small church, 16 kids in the youth group. My youth pastor, Jeff Moore's handed me a video camera and Adobe Premiere, basically 1.0 creative uh, cloud. It wasn't on the cloud. It was create. It was <laughs> CS creative suite on a bunch of CDs. And I started to edit. I didn't know how to edit video, but I started to do weekly videos for our youth group and did it in my free time while I was waiting tables at Red Robin, a burger place that was near the Seattle area where this was all happening. And that grind of making one video a week taught me the present day skill that I believe every business, church, nonprofit needs to be leveraging, and that is video. I was creating these videos and they were terrible. I mean, your first videos are going to be your worst videos. These were worse than that. But that discipline, that was 52 videos in that first year. And then eventually the lead pastor of the church was like, you should make a video on Sunday as well. And I'm still a volunteer. So I'm doing two videos a week as a volunteer. And that is 
building my creative muscles, just like some people have been at the gym lifting the biceps, lifting the biceps. Clearly, I haven't been at the gym <laughs> lifting the dumbbells. You know, getting the, the getting the biceps. I was getting the video biceps. I was doing the reps in content creation, and I didn't stop. And so, eventually, we started the YouTube channel for the church in 2007. And then I started my own YouTube channel. I started a video production company, all self-taught in video. But I started doing wedding videos, like music videos at a local blues grange seattle hip-hop videos like i was just in the, the northwest region trying to hustle trying to do freelance video and so I, I uploaded those videos online as a portfolio and then i worked on another channel with my friend jeff morris called think international where we did interviews uh, of people in the faith space christian authors and and pastors and then i started a personal channel and i messed around and just uploaded random stuff so i just was like in youtube really deep met the co-author of our book youtube secrets in our small town and it's kind of just so many different stages of the journey, but I, if you fast forward to today, there's this thing called the 10,000 hour rule that people are familiar with. Malcolm Gladwell kind of popularized it. I'm probably at like 35, 40,000 hours in video and the adjacent topics around video. And mm. so, you know, 2 million, over 2 million subscribers across YouTube channels, the number one best-selling YouTube strategy book in the world. I kind of began to steer the ship into YouTube specifically because I love online video, but YouTube is the best. YouTube is the only platform where your content lives forever. It's the number one video platform in the world, the number two most visited website, the number two largest search engine. And it's like a fine wine. When you upload good content there, it gets better with age. Like mm. it, you just continues to build up a library and a portfolio of videos. And because I discerned that fact, I really saw the opportunity of not just personally going all in on YouTube, but also going all in in terms of helping others. And that's our thing to do today is to, to tell people like, hey, we help people learn YouTube. We help people learn what cameras they should use, what gear they should use. And man, it's been a crazy journey. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, an amazing journey. I want to go back really quick to one thing I heard on a podcast, another podcast interview that you did with Ken Coleman. And I believe there was a time that you sort of like trying to break into doing a, a little bit more of like a creative sort of freelance work. And you wanted to work with someone so bad that you offered to you know fly over and basically refund everything if they weren't happy with your work. And you know, you'd kind of like guarantee it essentially. Could you talk about the experience in that story? Yeah, you know, my friend Ken Coleman, who I was telling that story, wrote the book, The Proximity Principle. And before he wrote the book, I, I felt like I was trying to live the proximity principle. And it was simply this. I want to get around and work for or surround myself or be near or be able to learn from people that are doing what I want to do in my future. It's the power of if you want to work at a particular in a particular type of industry, what better the apprentice model? What better would it be to get mentored or apprenticed by that person, even if you were just somewhere distant in their company? And so for me, I've always actually, my real core passion is leadership and my faith and really building businesses and building families. Like I just consider myself a, a builder. You know, I, I want to build a strong family. I want to build a healthy business. I want to build my local church. And, 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 and definitely a passion to write books and speak and train. And one of the things that I've been trying to do in my thirties, I'm 37 now was see if I even, there's, there's a lot of coaches, coaching people on how to build that have never built anything. So I suppose I'm coaching a little on how to build right now, but, but I'm more trying to build something. You know, our company went from, you know, wasn't even a company, solopreneur, five figures to 
six figures to multiple six figures to seven figures to multiple seven figures. We might be at eight figures, maybe by the end of this year per year, you know, in top line revenue and doubling our team right now. Point is wanted to, I wanted to see like, can I actually stay married? You know, he's, it's kind of weird if you're a marriage coach, but you haven't been able to stay married, you know, mm. more whatever. But like, it's got, it's got like a fitness coach, but you're not fit. So I'm trying to spend my thirties really building. And sometime later in my life, like in my forties, I, I might shift to business development, personal development. But to answer your question on the long way around the mountain, I, there was a guy named Dr. Dave Martin who had smoke at our small town. He, he spoke at our church once, taught a lot about kind of leadership wisdom and not as much primary ministry type stuff, but more like like business, personal development, leadership, vision, personal finance. And I remember I was like, man, he's, he's an author and he's, cre- he's packaged his, his coaching into programs. Man, I would love to work with him someday. And we interviewed him once when he was up in the Monroe, Washington. And so there was that touch point with him. And then there was, you know, I was listening. To, I, I had bought his stuff. I mean, I actually bought his thing called the Wisdom Pod. And and that Sonia and I remember we stretched my wife uh, to get it. It was like 300 bucks to get like, you know, all these teachings. I was like, babe, this is a stretch for us. But I want to grow. I've always believed the best investment you can make is in yourself. So I, I learned his stuff. I, and I thought, man, it'd be cool to someday work for him. So eventually he came to Vegas to this thing with Joel Osteen called Night of Hope. I had this history with him because I, we'd interviewed him once. I'd actually reached out a couple of times. Things had fizzled. He recognized I was working at a church at the time doing social media stuff. He'd asked me for advice here and there. And so I just kind of got this boldness on me and I approached him. I think actually we just talked and connected there. I had his email. So I went home and I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Now I had a full-time job. wasn't trying to leave my job, but I've always wanted to. The other piece of this was before I ever like taught social media, I wanted to see if I could actually like be good at social media. And my, my best way of potentially doing that is could I do social media for somebody else and get them results, track more leads, more emails, more book sales, more conference registrations, more creative campaigns, more reach on Facebook, whatever. And so I emailed him. I'm like, listen, Dr. Dave, I would love to, we've talked here and there at events. We've ran into each other a couple of times. I would love to coach your team. I know you've wanted help. And I think I just threw it out there. I was like, fly me to Florida where he was based, pay my expenses, pay me a thousand bucks. And I'm not, I don't think I had done this for anybody else at the at the time. Mm. I might've been like hired for like two bags of peanuts and half a banana for like speaking at a local church or something, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really remember exact like, but I was like, and he, I am so confident that I can help you and that you will get 10 times the value that you spend that if you don't, I knew he lived in Orlando right by Disney in downtown Disney. I will refund all the money and I will buy you a gift card for you, your son Solomon and your wife Christine to go have dinner at a downtown Disney at your favorite restaurant down there. Uh, that's how much I believe I can help you. Bro, I was terrified. I told my mm-hmm. wife I was going to send the email as you should communicate to your spouse. She was terrified because like, what if this backfires? Like we didn't have the money to, you know, a thousand bucks plus, well, I guess that we didn't have that, but it, the airfare, you know, whatever. It's probably two grand by the time you do the hotel and everything else, 2,500, three grand. So he said, yes. And what was interesting was we did a day of coaching and it also just revealed that there was this huge gap that he was like, shoot, my team can't even really implement the strategies you're recommending. Can we hire you? So I started a freelance for him for probably the next three, four years. And I'm talking like 
250 bucks a week to like keep chop up some videos, post them on his Facebook page. And and here was my thing too. I was never in it. I probably should have charged more. Maybe not. I don't know. I was on the come up building my portfolio, but I was always in it for the, the learning. I wanted hmm. to get a chance to be in the room. So he would fly me to his event called Ultimate Life Conference around all these different business leaders and stuff. That's what I wanted. I wanted to learn, Dr. Dave, how'd you become Dr. Dave? I wanted to learn, how do you do what you do? And I also saw it as a privilege or just because it was content I wanted to consume anyways, he's really, he was funny. The way he structured his talks, I learned timing, comedic timing. You know what's interesting about Joel Osteen is that assuredly he is probably one of the great communicators that on the planet today, just in terms, no matter what anybody thinks about him, in terms of reach, I think his show plays in like a hundred countries, millions of people watch. He obviously can cross over boundaries and learning styles because he just communicates so clearly and so effectively. He also plans his entire talk. But how did he become such a great communicator? Well, people don't realize he was a video editor for his dad, who was the pastor of Lakewood, who would oftentimes preach, as most people do, for 45, 55 minutes, but he had to edit those episodes into 27-minute TV spots because that's how much time there was. So oh, he wow. learned how to make things half short and twice strong for years of editing. So now when he became, and I, uh, that was my journey as well, I think I'm a decent communicator today. I've edited pastor sermons, Dr. Dave's sermons, social media content. I've had to think about, do hooks get attention? ways of comedic timing in the presentation of a message, whether on a YouTube video. So anyways, that was kind of that story. And man, it changed everything. And that was sort of my whole, it really illustrates multiple decisions I've made to try to put myself in learning environments, put myself in situations that will level me up, the proximity pres principle. And uh, man, it's it's changed everything in terms of who I am today. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was really a, a crash course, right? you you cut your teeth, got all the, the experience, the proximity of these people, the connections. And now, I mean, if you look at where you are today, it's, it's pretty crazy. But I want to I want to give you a chance, actually, I, just for clarity, because like there's so many different branches and arms to what you're doing. Could you give me like a high level overview of everything you're doing right now? Like what's what's under Think Media? Are there, are there even other things sort of adjacent to Think Media? Well, here's a crash course on the 21 ways that I make money. Okay. Number one, affiliate marketing. So we're a part of 20 affiliate marketing programs. Amazon is a huge one. CNBC did a piece on us last year. We had a $40,000 a month in profit on Amazon because we talk about cameras and lighting. But we have, we're have we affiliate for software, for, you know, like uh, just Adobe, B&H Photo, weird niche stuff. Because on my personal channel, I've done stuff in the health space, whatever. Affiliate marketing. Number two, YouTube ads. Number three, ebook sales. Number four, book sales. Number five, brand sponsorships. So companies will pay us to do sponsored videos or ad reads or ad spots. Number six, licensing content. When I was coming up doing my video production business, I would license B-roll on sites like iStock Photo. Hmm. Number seven, freelance video production and social media services. Those, These are my 21 ways I have made money over the years. We do not do any freelance work right now or services for anybody else. We just deploy all of our team on our own 10 videos or so we post a week. Consulting, number eight. One-on-one -on -one coaching, number nine. Paid speaking, speaking gigs, number 10. Number 11, YouTube memberships. Now, you could do channel memberships on YouTube, but YouTube takes 30% of that and you keep 70%, and it's like a monthly subscription for premium content or bonus content. We just have a membership site outside of YouTube because we'd prefer to have more like 99%. 12 is YouTube Super Chat. When we go live, people can tip us. They give us Super Chat. It's like, it's imagine if you were, you know, in the 
town square back when we could go in public of of a city and someone's like playing guitar and they got their guitar case open and you throw a tip in there whether it's entertainers or educators and you're maybe answering questions you get super chat when you're on live if people got value merch not a huge thing for us but we got like think media hats and hoodies and stuff through teespring through our website online courses big one for us e-learning industry 15 jv partnerships we do a couple jv partnerships a quarter helping our community learn about skill sets that we do not teach directly so you know we teach youtube but people might need to learn about challenges or email marketing or something specific so we're like hey if you want to go deeper on that our friend an expert expert in that 16 event ticket sales we have an event every single year called growth video live 17 online challenges you can monetize the challenge in multiple ways vi vip for the, it's a free challenge but we have vip or you can upgrade and then personally as i've been evolving in business rental income investments interest on money bitcoin mm. stocks 20 Cash back on business credit cards. I'm sorry, Dave Ramsey. I apologize, <laughs> but we get a ton of money. We put all of our Facebook ads, all of our YouTube ads on on credit cards. Not money we don't have, but because that cash back is nice. There's, there's air miles. We don't even do travel. We just do all cash back, tens of thousands of dollars. Equity in other businesses, you know, kind of like Beyonce said, you know, give me my check, put some respect on my check or pay me in equity and watch me reverse <laughs> out of debt. And so equity is an interesting one because there's so many startups in the creator economy or anything, digital marketing, marketing, SaaS companies, funnel builders, tracking metrics and all kinds of companies. So if you were to be able to, with your personal brand, your podcast, partner with a company and potentially get equity, it could be, it could be a, a big loss or it could be a real big win-win. So those are the 21 ways over the years we've we've made money kind of in the empire. So you you see think media and you even see that like sort of just the tip of the iceberg in the visible YouTube channel. It goes real deep underneath and some of those in fact without really going through we've done at least six figures in every single one of those. Hmm. Seven figures in a lot of them. So it's also quite a bit of not just like a few bucks here, it's built up over the years to where and and profit no, I mean, sales, we've done eight figures in a lot of those. Of course, on Amazon, we get like 4% on a camera. So, right, so right. a lot of times we'll do like a million dollars in sales for Amazon a month, we get like 40K. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's an amazing breakdown. <laughs> 21 ways is a lot of ways. I actually want to focus in on one of those with the equity because I actually, I mean, I didn't know that or expect that, but it's pretty interesting, especially now, like you said, given the creator economy and sort of this boom in technology, how, how do you think about the investments? Like how many have you made? Are you allowed to talk about any of them publicly? Do you promote them publicly? So the, it is a brand new one that I am inking right now. And I also, as a shout out to a swipe file, there's a really cool niche YouTube channel called Creator Economics. It's the management team of like Mr. Beast, very niche channel, but they're talking about the same kind of thing. So we have, I, I, could, I can't say I've cashed out because it's just something I'm locking into now, but essentially I'm getting 100K of shares at today's price. And then there's some things like some of these companies will probably never go public, but they could be bought on the secondhand market or they'll be acquired or that money goes up as more money's invested in it. So full, I mean, I, I said, I said those 21 lists, like I'm a boss, like I'm just, you know, <laughs> like I got all these deals. Like, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a new territory for me, but in light of that and peers that are, have done different things in that spot, it has illuminated my mindset to think about 
how we are doing brand deals or what even the future of like think media is that mm -hmm. I, and and echoing creator economics they basically said i would much rather have equity than potentially cash if i and i would only want to work with a company that i really see their future so they mentioned like the example of honey which has already become massive. Another one that's really massive is like Canva right now. But we right. start thinking about, I think this is the light bulb moment. Epidemic Sound, which does royalty-free music for creators across the board, you know, copyright-free music, just got an additional $400 million in funding and an evaluation of $1.4 billion. That is, there's a really cool blog on Signal Fire that does talks about the state of the creator economy. Must read. You just Google Signal Fire creator economy, and it's like a full breakdown report. And they list the different royalty-free music, Adobe Creative Cloud, apps on phones, things like Honey or Extend, you know. And then there's this whole like creator coin type side of things, and people go and that, of course, NFT. We're getting out of even my. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to be like really buzzwordy <laughs> and cool on here, but, but like whatever. And so all that to say is we'll see how that plays out, but I'll be looking for getting like sacrifice, especially because of the diversity of our business. And this is a really good place to be in. We don't have short term cash vulnerability. Like we're doing, we're in a really good place of, of keeping healthy margins, really healthy margins. So I'm like, well, I don't even need the economics on you paying me today. Could we skip right. this? And can you just kick me a point or kick me a couple points or kick me whatever? And I mean, and we're getting like, dude, I, I'm a small town kid, college dropout. We have lawyers on staff now. I mean, not on staff, but, mm. you know, on retainer. And and I'm about to talk to a securities lawyer. So like, I don't even like you got to protect your <laughs> ass sets. You know, I mean, you got to. So that's literally like happening next week to to figure out things and make sure it's set up right and how when does it vest and when does all of these things type of happen so it's pretty cool though i think that's an exciting uh way to be thinking and it's definitely going to be a really crazy decade in youtube and and so many explosive companies in the digital world man get some equity hmm. yeah i mean that's exactly what i was going to say was if i were in your position or really even a lot of the other uh, any other sort of successful by whatever means you want to call them, creator, YouTuber, where really like the the crux of it is the attention, it's the distribution, it's the who do I, who can I influence, right? And so instead of, like you said, taking the cash or some sort of like short-term upside, you can take a long-term upside and really partner with those companies. And, you know, you have a massive distribution and you can really sort of determine the fate of a company or some sort of partner venture that you're a part of. 100%. That's what's so crazy is it's also the smarter move for them because the success success or failure from maybe entering into where, and this is what they said on that podcast, they said they, they didn't get equity in Honey, but had they, would Mr. Beast have been more that much more invested in promoting it, including it in more videos? So it becomes that win, win, win. And by the way, we're doing some of the same things in, in our company. Now, we are not we don't really have it broken down into shares or even equity for anybody. But we're doing things like profit share, at least right now, for when people are at the life of the company. We're trying to say, find ways to give people skin in the game. And I was literally going through the process now thinking, I, first, it was a mentor that warned me and said, you can't give people equity in your personal brand. Although I suppose with creator co coins, you certainly can in some way. Mm. But outside of that, it was what can we create in Think Media, maybe separating my personal brand, or what is it that we create that if we create our own software or our own hard goods or something that 
those that are here and a part of that project could get equity in that. And just a really great way to think because you want everyone to win and you want people to be invested, you know, and if they have that personal upside, then um, a lot more, I think, just good energy and hustle can go towards trying to have a cool result for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's huge. I, w- I want to get to YouTube and some of the, the tactical stuff here in a second, This, but this is amazing. I want to know, like, what's your your thoughts and your strategy on marketing and, and growing Think Media? I know it's sort of like a, a big open-ended question, but I'd love to hear how you think about it for yourself. And though I, I can dig into any one of those aspects, but just growing sort of the, the attention, the influence, the size of people that are involved in Think Media. You know, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me this question and it's a it's a pretty deep question hidden deep on this podcast you know <laughs> and there's two there's really two niches on youtube or there's two approaches there's entertainment or education hmm. and the biggest traffic source on youtube is suggested videos and youtube recommended and it's it's going for that swing for the fence big click through rate on your thumbnail and entertaining topics meaning if you're going to be a super viral youtube star you just have to reverse engineer if your content even maps to that being a thing. Is it is it is it consumer? I mean, we're consumer too, but is it consumer like like oh, cute cat kissing you know cat and a baby? And and of course, <laughs> there's more niche things than that, but it's very wide appeal. And then there's the education side, also massive. And in the recent report from the CEO of YouTube, they talked about especially during the pan- pandemic, education content exploding, exploding. People wanting to know how to, but. If a marketer does a marketing channel and sits in front of a whiteboard and trains on a funnel, it's this probably not really going to be a viral video, dude. Like it's just, you know, and that's okay. So while we play in both rounds, we lean heavily, not only in the education side, we teach people, uh, we review cameras, we teach people how to use cameras, we compare cameras, and it goes super deep, microphones, software, all the things, but just on a basic level, the tools for creators. And then we also talk about the tips, how to get views on YouTube. And even we have a podcast called the Think Marketing Podcast that is around basically how do you build a deeper business and how do you market your YouTube business? Okay, so search is a major traffic source on YouTube as well, but it's not even close to as big as suggested. Saying that, Hmm. we are connected, we are sticking with the strategy that I started with and that is trying to just put as many videos as possible in front of like relevant search-based terms at scale. And the second piece of what we're doing is is Michael Dell said it this way, ideas are worth nothing. Execution is the game. So on the other when you understand a formula that works on YouTube, if you will, then the biggest barrier between you and growth is execution. And that really is where things get challenging. And so what am I doing to market Think Media? Well, here's the, it's like the age old content marketing strategy, good, valuable, free content. And that leads to, and then at scale, meaning we upload five videos a week on Think Media. And the reason Mm -hmm. I was able to do that is I built a team around it. So the execution was not even just me doing it one video a week or every one video every two weeks because it's hard to make a good video. But then it was leadership, teamwork, hiring people, even casting vision before the dollars were there. That's like, you know, building that up, building out a system, shifting our brand from a personal brand to a media brand, and then continuing to do the same thing better 
of best video podcast mic, cheapest podcast setup, best lens for Sony camera. And the deeper strategy is that we also are really making Think Media, it's always been this, but we're building Think Media into a tech brand like The Verge or like CNET. And that's also much wider reaching than the YouTube education side of things. So our macro awareness on the Think Media side can grow a lot wider because even when you get into like the education, it's even a much smaller niche that's just interested in that. But a lot of people want to know maybe best camera or even like how to get free music for my YouTube videos. So we're just playing in a lot of different things and linking it all together. Hmm. So in a way, we're building like our tech review company as one mega brand, excuse me. And then we're using that to grow our YouTube education company. And, and then I think the magic of it all is it's on the, it's just on the other side of executions. How good do you do it? How good are your thumbnails? How good are your titles? How good is your content? How consistent are you? How is it just fluff, whatever, or is it like real valuable content that builds your brand and your reputation? And so we hold ourselves to a high standard of trying to, we don't feel entitled to anything at Think Media. We feel that we need to make really great videos. And of course there's tactics, but at the end of the day, like Google is going to rank and YouTube is going to rank the best video as an answer to the question. And so anyways, the back, the, the, the final thought is the reason though that's, that's interesting is there are those who kind of go this entertainment route and they kind of get on a conveyor belt, even with big growth. They put out a couple bangers, videos that are maybe sometimes hard to create. They get a million views or two million views, but I've seen people get tired, burn out, disappear, run out of creative ideas, you know, hit hit a plateau. And where we might have less of the sexy breakout hits, we're like this under the surface force that you just don't even realize how much digital real estate we're claiming. Plus, it's what we encourage our students to do. I believe what we do is much more practical and transferable because we're just chipping away at smaller numbers. But as you build up this library of videos, those small numbers become pretty big. So Think Media gets a quarter million views every two days. It gets about 6,000 views every 60 minutes. And the library of videos is so savage that if we stop uploading, it'll probably jump jump to 20% less than that, but it'll just keep going. Will it go forever? No. But it's a it's an asset, not only scaling with team, but scaling with the search-based content that, by the way, is heavily suggested. We still get like 30% traffic a month from suggested, or maybe 20, and then we get like 35% from search. And so it's this crazy snowball. And it, it, it just was taking my original thesis of what we do is we help people learn how to rank videos and connect them to different ways of monetizing. And that's also the other cool thing is we get to... We have the affiliate money coming in, the YouTube ads money coming in. If they make it to the education side, the online course money coming in, the brand deals because people want to get in front of the influence, the equity, you know, like because the brand deals are going deeper. We go live, get the YouTube super chat. And so it's been architected. It's it's sort of like, yeah, it's it's I don't know if that was a very clear explanation, but that's essentially Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, more, better faster. <laughs> you, you've already sort of cracked the code, if you will. It's just investing more into that. But I did have one one question about like, do you do you think about going outside of video? And you mentioned, you know, you have like this, this podcast now, like, are you thinking about more audio only or even like written, you know, blog posts or just, you know, more written content as it were? Or do you stay in your circle of companies? You stay really with, with video. We just keep investing in video and you don't really branch outside of that. Yeah, I think I am a 
I'm a Gary Vee fan. You know, people probably have different temperatures on him over the years. His book Crush It really impacted me in 2009, and I hope I'm crushing it today. I actually, when he came out with Crushing It book, I was I didn't make it in the book, but I made it on the blog. They they documented our because it was a really early wow. influential book in my life. But he has kind of this thesis of volume, 100 pieces of content a day, and I agree with that thesis. I think that to your point, it could become a distraction, and you could you could become things could get too complex or you get on this hamster wheel of creating social media content. But in my opinion, that's only if you do it wrong. Eventually it becomes a leadership team reinvesting of revenue and systems play. And you need self-awareness to know if you can even pull that off or if you have the people with you to pull it off. Because sometimes people invest in too many. We've done, I remember we, we were doing this mastermind and, and there was somebody, they were telling us they have like an Instagram account for every brand and every extra brand. And they had like a Facebook page for every brand and every extra brand. And they were just saying it was so hard to keep up with. And then I was like, do any of those even get any impact? They're like, nah, not really. And and at that point, you need to <laughs> you need to be like, okay, we're not even able to do it well. But the answer to your question is I want to do all the things. That's just the era we're living in on the other side of of there's a good book called Who Not How. How are we going to start really going in on written? Wrong question. Who is going to be the person who can maintain that voice and do it? And that's very Gary V, right? He's staffed his personal brand with maybe 20 people or more. And so, A, the, the reason we're able to pump out the amount of videos we do is because of our team. B, even our video podcast is because staffing around that. And then I actually, the video podcast thing is maybe the best answer to your question because video, maybe not everybody should do a video podcast, but I kind of think it's the Joe Rogan model, the Jay Shetty model, like the Lewis Howes model. Because if you're not, I talked to Kerry Newoff, who does a leadership podcast, and he had me on talking about YouTube. And we were on Zoom, and he was like, I'm just on Zoom because I want to see the person, but, and I have, but I don't use the video. And I go, You've been saving them though? He goes, Yeah. In fact, every video podcast I've done, I've got about 100 on my computer or saved on the Zoom cloud. And I was like, Kerry, I am so disappointed in you. I am, <laughs> you, the level of irresponsibility, even if, Carrie, you don't even put great titles out or great thumbnails, where your podcasts are in audio only, people can't even, like you don't even have the chance to get 10, 20, 200 more views on YouTube. It's just a whole nother channel. Even if people are gonna make, like it doesn't matter the video quality. Plus if you do it right and you just make it a little bit searchable, here's what happens on YouTube. And since then he changed his ways and he, you know, turned, <laughs> he had a revelation and he changed his direction <laughs> and he, his podcast is on YouTube. will get 200 views. 350, but then one will get 5,500. One will kind of pop off in the algorithm as 18,000 views. That's the way YouTube works. Hmm. So video podcasting, to your point, was me wanting to reach into audio, but then extend and realize we're also really great at video and we have a grace to do that. And so we finally got thinkmedia.com. It was expensive because somebody had been sitting on it forever. We haven't done anything with it. So I'm trying to get like a blog person. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to hire, I don't know if it's if it's one hat, but I'm trying to hire basically a pro blogger who's like, who could run like WordPress engine and like really good at SEO. It could be like a personal blogger, but just kind of wants to team up and could be like an awesome writer and single-handedly. And maybe it's two people, but I'd love it if it's one person. And I would just, I would partner up with that person and, and, and build up that blog, even just with embedding our videos. I mean, I understand how SEO works. 
you know, Neil Patel and like Eric Sue, I spoke at their mastermind, they're friends and really good marketers and they crush SEO and the SERPs and the whole deal. And so I'm like, of course I want to do, you know, we get about 2 million views from Google a year just from having no good websites, just from having YouTube videos that wow. are search-based and that rank on Google and get traffic externally on YouTube from Google. But I, I have a feeling we could lift what we're doing by 20, 30, 40% if we just built really good written and blog content around our videos as well as in isolation. But then again, it comes back to the power of focus. And it's a, it's a fine line because even in the midst of that, me doubling down even more on video could potentially lift things more than the 20, 30% that could build. But if I could get the right who, that's an answer to the question. Keep the team managed. It's, it's tough, bro. I'm just a yeah. small town kid from Arlington, Washington. I don't know. We're like We're scaling companies. I'm trying to figure, how the heck yeah. do you do this stuff? And so it's team, it's leadership, it's uh, company culture, it's focusing on the main thing, keeping it the main thing. And Jack Welsh said something, and I, I read this in Seth Godin's The Dip, and he said they were number four in a particular area in GE, like maybe it was a division of cars or division of something that they were building. And and he canceled that department, even though it generated millions, maybe it was a B word, maybe it was billions, because his framework was if, we're, if we can't be number one or number two at it, we should stop it because it's mm -hmm. gonna take the energy of our management resources. It's gonna take their brain power, their energy, even if it's really super profitable. So those are some of the things I wrestle with daily because I'm like, even with the right who, should we even go into written? Do we even need to? Uh, you know, it's, it's maybe not a right or wrong answer there, but if we can't be number one or number two at it um, and we're going to be number six and that's good, we could probably make number one and number two even stronger by, by not having too many distractions. So, hmm. Those are tough questions. I, again, I don't know, like there's right or wrong answers. It's all asset allocation and strategy and but i love the way that you're thinking about it and actually i wanted to this is going to be one of my later questions but i'll ask it now since we're on it is uh so you, you mentioned the joe rogan kind of jay shetty strategy of taking your video podcast and publishing on youtube possibly even breaking it up into clips i'm wondering do you think that that works for every uh podcast or every video podcast i'm, I'm sort of battling because I, I think that on one hand you know, maybe like, well, they already have uh, sort of a, a strong personal brand. And like, that's just something you know, people are searching for Jay Shetty or for Joe Rogan, like who's searching for Corey Haynes, for example, or for even one of my guests, right? I think people will probably search for you. So I should definitely get you on YouTube, but you know, any other guests like, but do you think that the strategy extends far beyond that has legs for everyone? Or does it only work for a certain set of cases? It 100% has, it has relevance to everyone. Disclaimer, we talked about it earlier, it's pure execution. It's how good you do it. They're not searching for Corey Haynes. They're not even searching for Sean Cannell. What they're searching for in the Joe Rogan example, and now he's not even on YouTube, just the clips are continuing to be on YouTube, right. is they're searching for the headline that you can get out so quickly because you recorded it in podcast format. So even though it's not really a podcast, I do a show called Coffee with Cannell, and Someone said, what are your thoughts on Clubhouse, the new audio-only, invite-only app? And it turned into like a 22-minute conversation. Well, when we chopped that out, that particular video did very well hmm. internally with my audience, but also externally. So it's not Corey Haynes, it's Clubhouse. It's, right. it's the conversation and that headline that you pull out about intermittent fasting or that you pull out about... Kim Kardashian and Kanye, 
or that you pull out and you talk about in relation to even true crime. And so you have the long form, but you also have the clips. Key is understanding how to write great titles, how to make great thumbnails, how to put a great hook and get to the point, your degree of delivering content or how good the guest was delivering content and how good the editor chops it up. And then and then volume of execution. Key is committing to, because again, and I'm, it's pretty bold words, but I think it's irresponsible not to also post your podcast on YouTube. I would dare I say, even just throw up an image just because it is a search engine and is indexed in a particular different way. It goes back to resource allocation, I suppose, because you're like, is it really worth it when I could go deeper on it? But some people use YouTube Red, YouTube Premium, and that's their preferred place to even listen to podcasts, like with mm. the video off with their earbuds in. So it's sort of like if if you could, and that's why it's execution. If you could build a team around it, that's the harder question. Can you get top talent? Because you might not even have the resources to think that. And that's a high level of skill to think about what's the hook, what's the title, what's the opening, what's the thumbnail. Because a lot of people do that at like a three or a two or a one. And they're like, oh, it doesn't work. No, no, no. You got to be doing it at like a six, seven, eight, nine, ten consistently. And then it's game over after perseverance and patience reminds me of gary v wine library tv he talks about doing it for at least a year and nobody watched like a year of five days a week posting video videos reviewing wine for a year with like crickets on the other side and so yes there's more competition and then will you be joe rogan on the other side of that it's not, not what i'm suggesting at all but i'm definitely saying you'll look back and you'll be like whoa, I got 438,000 views on YouTube over the last year. And to the degree that you link to other videos. And then and then here's the huge key. What people underestimate with YouTube is they're just, they're looking at the past five videos that all got 50 views. When when you stick with that strategy, again, doing it at an at a executing right, you look back over two years and it might only be 5% of your videos blow up. They just do like you get the right topic at the right time because the right guest gave the right commentary about what was happening in politics at that moment and the marketing lessons we can learn from Joe Biden campaigning against Trump. And you're like, mm. that video just was crazy. And you're like, I'm going to clip that part. It's pretty polarizing. And then bang, it's over. So and, and all of a sudden, 10,000 new subscribers come into your world. So so should you do it? I think it's no question. I mean, I think that it's the question is, can you execute it? And that's leadership allocation of resources. There's a lot of things I should do today that I don't have the, you know, it's either time, money, or team. It's the human resources, time resources, or financial resources. So you have to figure out how you're deploying those today. But that's what I'm constantly asking is how do I create the revenue? And I was challenged in a book. It was Don Sullivan and it said, if you have money and you have a problem, you don't have a problem. Hmm. So I was like, dang, because then I was like, okay, am I spending my time acquiring, removing myself at a, at a, at a hiring training and, and, and then it's, man, it's, it's a very dynamic conversation at what's, what scale do you want to grow to? What, how many yeah. headaches do you want? I mean, you can always hire somebody, but you still got to work with them or oversee them. So if you're like, well, the audio podcast is working and I'm achieving my goals and I can clock out at the end of the day and go on a walk with my son. Well, like whatever, it's, it's, that's the self-awareness piece of it all. But to the degree, if you want to reach the world with your message and impact as many people as possible, I think there's wisdom in saying do it all so long as you could do it well and staff around it. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask you about the execution side of that one in particular because that's something top of mind for me that's just sort of uh, self-serving for me personally, but I'm curious your thoughts on it because I want to create clips from our conversation, for example. Should it be me going in at least at first and, you know, I don't know, uploading to Descript, getting the transcript, like trying to pull out, okay, what are like some, some worthy headlines or hooks or, or clips that might be interesting for YouTube? Or is that something that I, sh that could be easily delegated to someone else? Like, how do you find the balance between doing it yourself? Because maybe it's like, why well, don't you, you said before, like it needs to be a six, seven, eight, nine, ten, not a, you know, one, two, three, four, five level of execution. Really good, deep leadership conversation, enjoying it. I think, I think, first thing I think is that when you're growing, it's okay for it to be a four, five, or six because you might be able to work with someone today because you're you're also growing. So all the four, fives, and sixes today is just getting the system, practicing in public with that person and letting them grow into if they have that potential. It makes mm. me think of our video influencers editor. I sent her a ton of feedback and, and, and whatnot for a while, but eventually it got us to scale once she was ready. And we just posted the videos along the journey. They weren't, again, as good as maybe I could do, but on the climb, the videos were improving, the climb was, so you, you don't necessarily need to parachute into because the two things you have when it comes to team, you either have top talent, very expensive, or you have farm team and you need time to develop them. And there's a scale between both of those, like anywhere along the spectrum. So my second thought is then if you're in the hustle, there's also how much time and money do you have? But if you're in the hustle, my friend, we use Repurpose House as well. And we have a team managing them. My friend Ben uses Repurpose House. He comes up with the headlines though. He has, Ben runs Keto Camp. So he comes up with like, how many hours should you sleep per night? And his guest breaks down sleep. And he sends the time codes in, he sends the headline. And once you've built the Repurpose Pals system, because chances are, you're the only one with the marketing mind. And it's really not necessarily a low level task that you just hire. It could be like your time of going on Upwork or whatever, and maybe finding someone. But like, this is, you know, this podcast, everything is marketing. Good marketers is still not AI, man. There's some AI stuff happening, but like, it's, it's a real skill. It's a real art form. So when delegating, my thing is, can you delegate more task-based things that are not art as much as possible? So you can think about, okay, what was the headline? What was the time code? That's where it would start. My next piece of advice would be then, how do I make as much money as possible as soon as possible? And I mean <laughs> because that- Because then your, your problem isn't a problem because you have Your money. problem's not a problem because you're able to afford- and let's not even call it top talent. I know as a startup, like, like for example, when you're starting up building a six figure business seems like a crazy goal and mad respect. Like if you could build a six figure business as a solopreneur, I remember growing up in my small town, that was like the peak of my vision formally. I was like, oh my gosh, that would be crazy. Then as I started to shift into like what a business really is in terms of expenses and then being like, holy crap, I'm spinning every dish, every plate, I need help. I started realizing if you have six, if you're making six figures and you need to scale your business, you have no money. Like you are super broke at six mm. figures, even multiple six figures. Because if now you're trying to pay somebody else that has kids, like they can't work for, you know, two bags of peanuts and half a banana. Like they eventually need to, you, you can hustle and they can grow into things and maybe one of their, but eventually you got to start paying people real money. And so all that to say is 
that goes back to what's the shortest path to revenue question. Why? Not necessarily whatever the vision is. And people people get so uncomfortable because they got jacked up money mindsets. You need money for the mission. You need money to support others. You need money to scale the business and the business creates value. The business adds value to other people and the business pays the IRS to not update the roads in Las Vegas. I wish the roads were updated, but nevertheless, the IRS is going to take that money, whatever, besides the ethical tax code advantages that we take strategically as business owners that I spend a lot of my time thinking about right now. And so I think that it's how do I get money while at the same time creating a vision that's so compelling that would attract people that would want to work for what we're doing and and then building it up one person at a time. Because yes, eventually, no, it's it's very it's very hard to delegate. Like you've got the best minds trying to break through the Instagram algorithm on the headline of that IGTV, right? You've got a, a lot of people that are trying to break through on YouTube. So a lot of times you wouldn't delegate your marketing. You might delegate the marketing tasks and the follow-up and some different things, but like, but you, when it comes to the big idea, Ogilvy, like big idea, when it comes to like headline, like again, you might hire some like good copywriter, very expensive, but like if you're a good marketer, that becomes like your main job, you know? And and so, anyways, I hope that helps. I like that. Yeah, I mean, basically to summarize and recap, what I'm hearing is there you can. You don't want to delegate the marketing and sort of it's probably a specialized job if you if you can really okay figure out what's the headline here what's the angle what do i think has the most promise and potential to to take off in the example of a of a of a clip that's just one example but the actual task itself of pulling that out and getting the transcript and you know producing the video and get like that can be delegated to other people Oh yeah, 100% because that's that's what Ben does too. So Repurpose House from there has a machine where you actually enter the headline, you enter the time code, you've already picked out your branding, you've sent them the link. So and then you could also and you could even delegate it to somebody to post on social, to schedule it, to post on social because that is you could write out a system for that. But you usually don't write out a system for I want you to have like an absolute hook point, grab attention. Like you can even maybe give some title formulas, but at some point, again, so if you just do that part and then you let it trickle down into the system and then eventually create revenue so that you have uh, as many bright marketing minds as possible. So I think for me, you know, Heather Torres joined my team and I would say we're both, we have our own strengths and we complement each other and weaknesses, but we're probably like peers in terms of like marketing prowess. Hmm. She started working for free just on percentage of something we were our first online course with zero sales. And, and that was, that was belief. She was entrepreneurial. Her life circumstances allowed her to do that. And then Melissa Caputo, she joined the team three years ago and she had helped do some social media for her parents' business and whatnot. She had the raw DNA of being a good marketer, but it's been in three years of, and the hustle of learning from Heather and I, reading a lot of books back, gone to a couple events, taking a lot of online courses and have, has tested a lot of stuff that she's put out and she's great after about three years and she's getting even better and we're all growing. We're all getting better. That's creating a leadership development culture and a continuous growth Mm -hmm. culture in your company. And then even across the team, we, we now we're all in Slack. And so our content creators, we brainstorm about titles. We also, even, even simply that we'll brainstorm a, a title as a headline. We'll brainstorm, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine titles, put them in Slack. People will vote them up, rework them a little bit. We'll use headline analyzers to like also see the score on things. And, Mm. and so it's turned into all kind of a process. And so 
I'm trying to, we bring in people that maybe have a, a certain level of brightness and that's also man, good to great, like the right people in the right places because not everybody's skill set doesn't need to be like, there's different people that are skilled at different things. So, and, and then, yeah, I mean, I think that is dynamic, man. It's a, and it's a competitive world out there in terms of, of social and whatnot, but this stuff, I, I stealing from Gary V. He was like the ROI of a basketball for me is zero, but the ROI of a basketball for LeBron is, is a lot of millions because he's great at, as at doing it. Hmm. That's what it comes down to. If, if you want to be a content creator and, and scale any kind of podcast or build that Instagram following or get those posts to go viral, it's absolute art. It's, and so that is, I don't think robots are going to really disrupt that, that you, and this is a great podcast because one of the most intimate, no, not one of the most mark, great marketers will always be in ridiculous demand and, and people who can every, and that would, so what I would argue is every team would want that person. So you should be doing both. I think you should be trying to get, connect with that person and build that person always. That's, mm. that's the leader's job is just constantly is, is scouting and, uh, and then building leaders from within and from without. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I want to get into YouTube and get a little bit more tactical, if you will. We can skip over some of the basics and fundamentals. I think people can find that pretty much you know anywhere. You can just Google it or you can go through a lot of the, the, the videos on your site. But I'm wondering about maybe some of the more advanced strategies or cutting edge or maybe just things that people don't normally think about. What are the more advanced or maybe cutting edge strategies that YouTubers are deploying today that you're thinking about or that you think will come up in the future? Say it again. What are some of the advanced strategies that people are deploying for YouTube? Yeah, like let's say, let's just say you have the the basics covered. You know, it's it's a good video. Like, what makes a video great? What are the advanced things that are really, you know, like I said, that's it, really competitive out there. There's a lot of people vying for the same eyeballs and making the same types of videos. What are the advanced or more tactical things that are setting people apart? I think the best way to answer this question is to explain how how a viral the most important YouTube metrics. So it really in 2021 and beyond comes down to this. It comes down to CTR, AVD, it comes down to APV and AVPV. Was that helpful? No, okay. So <laughs> so when you go into your YouTube analytics, number 1 is CTR. So that's click through rate and marketers would know that. That's only going to be influenced by three things, title, topic, and thumbnail. It can't really be influenced by anything else. I suppose if you really get algorithmic, like once it's being shown, it's going to go up because more people, but like the bottom line, does someone even want to watch that video on that topic? Does the title compare me to click, create an open loop, create curiosity? Is the thumbnail eye-catching or even interesting and, and gets me to take action? If you don't do that, it doesn't matter how good the video is. It could be the best video ever made. And they, if you don't get the click, that's where it all starts. Then it's average percentage viewed. So now you've started the journey of AVD. What is the, or AVD average view duration? The average viewer, how much percentage of the video does the average viewer watch? 10 minute video, 50%, they watch five minutes. The higher that number, the better. Minutes matter most on YouTube. So people, YouTube wants people dwelling on the video, but they also don't want them just they don't want them just bailing in the first few seconds. And so it's this audience retention metric. That's average view duration. So now you're asking, how do I hook their attention? Keep their attention. There's a new analytic in the back end of YouTube that actually shows 
how much how many viewers are still watching at the end of 60 seconds, I believe. It's actually 30 seconds. Hmm. And it's shocking because let me actually check to confirm that. It's still watching at the end of 30 seconds. On Think Media, our highest one is 76%. So wow. our best video right now, well, I actually can't say it. it only gives you like the last 10 you've uploaded in terms of that metric. But out of the last 10, 76%. So that's, that's, that's a quarter of people bailing, and that's my best. And then the worst on the list is 49%. One out of two people are still watching at 30 seconds. That tells you how important the beginning of that video is. One of my favorite books right now that I think anybody that wants to crush on YouTube and in marketing in general is Hook Point by Brendan Kane. You got to master hooks grabbing attention, but then you also have to master keeping attention. So Hook isn't even just about getting attention once. Any good copywriter knows that the purpose of the headline is not to get someone to read the article. That's what an amateur copywriter would say. The purpose of the headline is to get the person to read the first word. And the purpose of the first word is to get the person to read the second word. The purpose of the third word, word okay, don't want to, you know. Right. But but it, it literally that like second stacking a pound second is the progression of the message. And, and if you do something to lose the viewer attention or... You know, if you're again, if you're trying to get them to the end, people are like, oh, I, I want them to see this thing at the end. Well, there's a lot of steps between now and then. So it's click through rate, it's at AVD, average view duration. Then it's also APV, average percentage viewed. So average view duration, I should correct what I said earlier. Average view duration is just pure amount of minutes. So I've found that a lot of long form content has been doing well for us. Two hour video, only 12 minutes of average view duration. But that's actually crazy because it's three times longer than the average video watched on YouTube. The average like across YouTube is about four minutes. So mm. just because the video is so much longer and I'm holding attention at least for 12 minutes on average of everybody that clicks on that video, I've seen those videos do very well because they just keep people on platform, TOP, time on platform, so YouTube can sell ads. Then it's average percentage viewed. If you can make a 20-minute video, get people to watch... 15 minutes of it, 75% on a 20 minute video and people love clicking on it. You basically have a viral video on your hands. Hmm. And then AVPV is average video viewed per viewer. And that is, do people binge and watch even more videos after? So not only have uh -huh. you made one good video, but now if people go, dang, and you fall into like, if you ever discover a new channel and you end up watching five, 10, 15 videos on that channel. So a good example, is there's this channel called Daily Dose of the Internet, and it actually just chops up other people's like memes and content, integrates it with some of theirs. They're using fair use. It's a very, a lot of people try and do it, but it's doing really well. Daily views, they get two, three, four, five million views. And the videos are usually less than five minutes. Power of that channel is they're so re fulfilling, relaxing, funny, that I usually will watch four or five or six or seven or eight. And that and that and they just start stacking. So now that's average video viewed per viewer on Think Media. We're trying to raise that number across the whole channel. In March, we only had why am I not even being showed that metric? I don't know. It's usually about one point two, and we you want that to be four, five, three, so people are like really watching. And that's that speaks to our search based content. People have one problem, one pain point, they answer it, and they might leave kind of the nature of our content, but if you can grow that number, let's break it down. I mean, that's the modern formula. The problem is execution. And if, if you, let's say your click-through rate, there's nuances we could discuss about that because 
when you really start being shown in the algorithm, it'll drive your click through rate down like massively. It'll get drive it down to three, four percent because mm. they're showing it to millions of people with impressions. But if you can have your click through rate over 10 percent and if you can have your average view duration over eight minutes and if your average percentage viewed on that could be 60, 70, 80 percent and you could get people to watch one, two, like not one, but like two, three videos, one video alone can break off on its own. But if it also leads people to viewing like two, three videos and maybe to 30 minutes of watch time on your channel, bro, you're killing it. Like at that point. And then it's also how big is your TAM? Some deep marketing conversation, your total addressable market, because you might be, you're like, dude, my click-through rate is 86%. I do underwater basket weaving. And, mm. you know, people are watching the whole tutorial and they're watching a couple other videos, but like the amount of people actually interested in underwater basket weaving eventually runs out. Whereas there's maybe another topic that can reach so wide because people want to click on it. And that's where entertainment-based or just pure something shocking or something viral or something, which is fine. So that's self-awareness of what niche you're in. And so those are some metrics that I would say are the mar modern marketing advanced tactics is a lot in there was good thumbnails, good titles, good video editing, good structure of the content to hold the attention because you want to make data-driven decisions. And the more you fall in love with data, really the better off you'll be in terms of letting it influence your content and create a cycle of constantly tweaking your content in light of those metrics, reading those metrics, because what gets measured gets improved and trying to get 1% better every day with your videos. The, I think the big thing is this is the opportunity. Somebody might've been like, dang, you just talked me out of doing YouTube. Like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, but that's the opportunity because if you can crack that code, the level, I mean, I mentioned a quarter million views every two days, organic traffic that we get on YouTube. We, the level of influence we perpetually have is shocking. The question is like, is that worth it? Well, it's worth it. It's just on the other side of mastering skills, learning these things. So it's again, it's just like building up a real estate portfolio. I view YouTube as digital real estate. And even in the suggested algorithm, videos can, if people keep watching it, they keep spending time on the video, YouTube will keep recommending it to other people. And they'll keep showing it to more people via the homepage, via suggested videos. It'll keep showing up in search. It'll keep being recommended when, you know, YouTube tracks viewer behavior. So once you start showing interest in tiny homes, it'll start showing you videos of tiny homes. Well, what does it want to do? It wants to show those viewers, a video that when shown to cold traffic is clicked on, holds retention with cold traffic, has average percentage view, stays high with cold traffic, and then maybe people watch more videos. How, how many people is it gonna show that to? Every single time someone voices that they're into tiny homes, that video will show up on their homepage next, perpetually extending the reach of the video you posted two years ago that was really good related to tiny homes, expanding your influence, forever and like and youtube continues to go grow 3.3 uh 2.3 billion monthly active users now new numbers logged in with an account and your mom probably doesn't have an account so there's still a lot of youtube viewers that are not liking and commenting on videos but they're consuming but that's 2.3 billion monthly logged in active users even the pool of YouTube consumption just continues to grow so man if you can get a couple bangers in there a couple of videos that are hitting those metrics and then have them drive towards whatever business result you want, the opportunity awaiting for you on YouTube is massive.
Yeah, I mean, those are huge, insane numbers. I mean, 2 billion active users, uh, just crazy. And you spoke about sort of building this portfolio, like you know, digital real estate, and it makes me think of content strategy. Uh, how do you think about building out a calendar and sort of like a, you know, a set of videos like, okay, I want to, I want to have some real estate here and here and here and here that all work together to grow your channel. Is there some sort of like framework or way that you think about, okay, here's like the path forward or how people should think about creating their digital portfolio, if you will, on YouTube? Yeah, I think that like in marketing, they'd say the riches are in the niches. I think you do want to, you do want to create your channel for one type of viewer. So variety content is usually not a good idea, but the exception is variety is fine if you understand the viewer. I think about it like a magazine, like GQ magazine understands that it's a man, it's a man who's like the forward thinking, successful entrepreneur type of man that wants to dress nice, have a great summer cocktail, know which movies should watch during the summer, learn from, you know, Brad Pitt in the interview in the middle. And so you could kind of create potentially it's for a particular type of viewer and there might be a variety of videos, but typically making a channel, all things, tiny homes is the magic of YouTube. And the quote is this, never upload a video your subscribers didn't subscribe for. Hmm. Because if you do, you can do it, but it confuses the algorithm. So if you're building out a content library and you're like, if it goes too broad, what just ends up happening is you end up collecting subscribers. They subscribed because you talked about topic A, but you're trying to talk about topic B, which if not a large portion of topic A wants to watch topic B, and then you also have topic C, D, and E, then you're just you're confusing the own algorithm. And here's how the YouTube algorithm works. First, you get a subscriber. You get 1,000 subscribers. Then the YouTube puts that on their homepage, some of them, puts them in their subscription feed. So if they see that and they go, well, I'm not offended so as to unsubscribe, but I don't want to watch that. And they skip over it. That drives down click-through rate, which drives down all the metrics because if they don't click into it. So then YouTube goes, huh, well, the subscribers are not interested and how the algorithm works. And you do not need subscribers to grow. Like there's tons of proof of that, that you once, once users begin engaging with content, you can grow from scratch. Channels have grown off two videos. They've reached 1.5 million subscribers. It's crazy. And you may, you gotta, you know, it's gotta start somewhere. So maybe you send an email or you share it on social or who knows, you get shouted out. But nevertheless, you do something search-based and you're just the first one on a topic and it starts there and it holds attention so much that YouTube starts recommending it and they keep expanding the pool of recommendations. Point is, that if you upload a video and your subscribers don't click on it, it kills the distribution. It goes, mm. they're not into it. And if your subscribers do click on it, even if someone's not subscribed, they're studying who looks like your subscribers. Whose viewing behavior is just like them? Well, they'll probably, if they liked it, they'll probably like this too. So they'll show it to them. And that's an impression. And then based on if people click through or not. So that's what I would say in regards to your content formats. You could think of different buckets. Now, we struggle with this on Think Media. I mean, Think because you might have subscribed because you wanted best camera for YouTube, but we talk about a lot of other stuff besides just cameras. We some of the questions we ask is, is this video topic relevant to the widest number of our subscribers? You can learn from our pain. Here's another example. So we recommend people get the Canon M50. Our Canon M50 series does really good, great, but we also talk about all kinds of cameras. 
the Sony a6400, the Sony a6600. Here's the problem. Once you're committed to the M50 and you don't want to upgrade, that whole series is irrelevant for you. Once you, we've, we've talked about iMovie and we've talked about Premiere. And if you're committed to iMovie, then you're never going to click on a Premiere video. So even in our niche, which is working, hear me, extremely effective. It's one of the reasons why with 1.6 million subscribers, we can have a lot of views that uh, videos that get like 10, 16,000 views. We also have a lot of million viewed videos that are the wider topic and that break out. You got to know the game you're playing. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm going to do a podcast on this. There's a good book called The Psychology of Money. And yeah. it's it's it says one of the chapters is you got to know the game you're playing. And the problem with your investment strategy is if you're constantly like, oh, this is what this day trader is doing. Oh, I should change. Oh, this is what this crypto investor is doing. Oh, I should change. You're too reaction. Like they're all playing different games. They might be playing their game right. You got to be knowing what game you're playing. So we're playing the... Yes, this is a niche mic microphone and it might not do very well and it's not open to our widest audience, but for even the business model and the wider thing, like it just works. I just, I know the game we're playing. If, if you want to be like a, just a, a successful YouTuber and you, then my question would be, who's the subscriber who like real understanding marketing basics, but like a real understanding of your target audience and uploading a video they would watch, want to watch once or twice a week that you would create a no miss show for that person, a no miss upload that they would want to watch every single week. So again, if you're like how to install a toilet in your tiny home, how to do a countertop where you're like, why well, already have my countertop done? Well, then you're not going to click on the countertop video. Mm. But if you were like, maybe it's more commentary on politics, like Phil DeFranco has a daily show where he does basically general news, but also YouTube news and kind of tech news. And so I watched the Phil DeFranco show because I want to be filled in. See what he did there? Phil, filled in. I want to be filled in and it's entertaining and I like his vibe. It's about 15 minutes and I watch it every day. So the show format is show me this show, Phil DeFranco show. And, I'm, and, and then the value prop is... I will, I know stuff, you know, I'm like, oh, cool. Like I already heard about that. I'm interested in your take. I, I, you know, you've given me some of the headlines of the day and he kind of takes this angle of being unbiased. No one's unbiased, but he will tell you both sides and his opinion. And so I just like the vibe. So he's created a format. I think media is playing a little scattershot because you already bought a microphone. So you're not going to care about any of our microphone videos this year. And so I hope that helps. It's more like maybe understanding how things work and then reverse engineering your content strategy from that. And if you want to create one giant insane snowball you, you uh, of YouTube growth, you got to never upload a video your subscribers didn't subscribe for and figure out mm. what is your weekly show or even bi-weekly show because that's all it takes. If, if, if people really fall in love with you and you're just kind of a no-miss show, like I always got to watch that. And... and Think about it like literally a show. If you've stuck with The Walking Dead, I think it got dreadfully boring. My wife has continued. She's like, yeah, you wouldn't like it. It's, it's, it's a freaking grind. But uh, she, it was good for a while. Uh, like it, they've been going like 10 seasons now, right? They're like 11 seasons. And, and if you scale that back, you're obviously not going to pr produce a TV show. But like if you're bought into the whole show, then there's a 10-year YouTube career. There mm. is like I keep coming back for the value proposition. Depends on the game you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that it doesn't have to be perfect, but it helps to have all those things right and sort of buttoned up and to really think about the, those principles there. One, one of the things I'm wondering that came to mind was basically like, what if there aren't people to show for in the first place? Obviously you want to, you know, you want to create a good video, like 
put your best foot forward. You want to think about the, the audience and the potential viewer, but like, are, what are those specific tactics or strategies to just like get those initial views, get more views, like really boost yourself? Is it collaborations? Is it social media? Is it, is it something else entirely? Yeah, it depends on the niche and it depends on it's auditing your resources, meaning search based if you can, it's always a great way to start, you know, and you, all you need is like one video, like example, when we started video influencers, well, you need one video and then you got to follow it up with a good video. But when we started video influencers, we didn't have a ton of subscribers. We're in the early days. We're commentating on video. Meerkat was blowing up. So Meer, everyone's doing this live stream app called Meerkat. Cool, kind of playing around with it, watching. And then the announcement comes, oh my gosh, Periscope is coming. And because I knew, here's one video format, the versus strategy. Canon M50 versus Sony A6400. Organifi green juice powder versus whatever, ClickFunnels versus Kajabi. Capitalism versus socialism, played at it like a bigger level, like versus strategy. Well, I did a video knowing the versus strategy and seeing the announcement. Now I had a full-time job, so luckily my day off was Friday and half a day on Saturday. And so the announcement came on like Friday. So I started to play with the, on Thursday night. So I was like, dude, I'm gonna make that video and I'm gonna be first to market with it. And like two other channels, like Engadget and like Verge beat me, but I still outranked them because that's my skill, man. I got you, I'm your guy for you for ranking. And I made, so I studied, like almost all day Friday and kind of framed the video, shot it on Saturday and like released it on Saturday. Hustled, like just gave to, to, to see the shot, to see my shot on jumping on a topic, Periscope versus Meerkat, like good, bad and ugly or something, which is better. And I, and I read, and it was also really good content. It wasn't like, you might do okay if you do your hot take. I like studied the differences and figured it all out, made a video. To this day, you can find the video, apps are less relevant today. I think it got about 12,000 views when we were at the ground floor led to about 2000 subscribers. And so it's one video at a time. It's one subscriber at a time. You mm -hmm. could do something that if you're the first to talk about something or the first to compare two things, and there's always something to compare. If you're the first to upgrade your Tesla and talk about like the latest, and, 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 and there's a long tail. I think you're like, oh, there's so there's people that are faster. They got it ahead of time again. And there's that celebrity that gets a million views and Seth Goat in the long tail, there's the person who get 500,000. And then there's like the niche person who's just starting that'll still get 88 views because of that thing. And when you're just starting, that's 88 views. I think people sometimes are afraid and they just underestimate the grind it starts in those early days. So to your point, search-based content, I think that's absolutely a good place to start. Two, leverage your other influence. I mean, People say, well, everybody starts at zero. Well, kind of not true. Matthew McConaughey has sure grown fast on YouTube. I don't wonder why. Like he started at zero. It was freaking Matthew McConaughey, dude. Like, so well, what do you have influence elsewhere? Do you have an email list? And can you, once you make a promise and say, I'm going to start a consistent show. Hey, email list. The Tuesday YouTube show is out now. Go watch it. Wow. You grew so fast. Well, you took all this time to build your influence somewhere else. And you launch your new show. You, you leverage your podcast. And by the way, Probably a lot of people don't want to go watch it. But if 10,000 people listen to your podcast, maybe 500 really want to go subscribe to your YouTube show. So you are, that's all you need. You got the foundation, whatever. Hmm. And then collaborations, to your point, absolutely. If you could have shout outs or, or, or somebody else. By the way, that will not just get you awareness, but it goes back to subscribers. The wrong subscribers are a vulnerability. Hmm. You want to make sure 
you are attracting the right subscribers. You do not want to be shouted out by Kim Kardashian unless that is your perfect ideal audience because the subscriber boost will subscriber boost will probably not be interested in your future content. It could become a vulnerability because they're not clicking on your videos anymore. So those are a couple of ways from starting from scratch that I would go about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. We're running late on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't point on one more thing that you said there, which is around ranking. Ranking is your thing. I want to talk about YouTube SEO here for a second. If you can just give like, I mean, what do you feel like you do better or that you do that sort of beats the competition allows you to outrank big players or just, you know, why, why is that your thing? What, what are the, the tactical things that you can do to, to rank high? Well, it's evolved over the years. There's a lot of the old tactics. Most of the quote unquote gurus are probably preaching outdated information that doesn't matter. They'll say you should have your keyword in the actual video file that you upload to YouTube. False. Mm. Even tags carry a lot less weight. But here's what I love is some of, because YouTube themselves have said tags carry almost no weight unless you want to put the corrections of misspellings, alternative spellings of things in there and whatnot. And so you'll see a lot of big, big videos that don't have any tags. Okay, cool. So I've seen a lot of my peers and I hope they don't hear this podcast. <laughs> they go, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. So they stop using tags. There's software that tells you when you put tags, AKA keyword phrases on your video, that if it ranks or not, like you number seven for Canon M50 video test. You're number three for Canon M50 4K video test. Okay, so the mistake people make is they go, if I pick the right tags, my video will rank. Here, you got it out of me. Here's, here's a, is a big one. The reason tags matter is it's actually, tag, you ranking in tags is evidence that you did everything right so what I'm trying to say is that my keyword research is not to find the mag magic formula of tags. It's, it's marketing 101. My keyword research is to understand the viewer. The creator who understands the viewer best wins. And the creator who understands the pain point and what the viewer wants and just knows how to create something and give that to them. The result is, wow, my video ranks. So one of the things we constantly teach is you reverse engineer, you start with the end in mind. The mistake people make is they go, okay, let me just make a video. Well, I don't know, let me just kind of speak from the heart, shoot a video, okay, cool. Sit down, what should I title it? And then like, what tag should I put on it? And like, mm, is this really aligned? Is this really what, I don't know, I'm just gonna plug a bunch of tags in it, kind of make up this title. And you're, you're incongruent at that point. I would argue you should actually know your exact title or very close to it before you press record. I would argue, you should even have your thumbnail designed or at least a concept of it before you press record. So what ends up happening, especially if you've been doing this as long as me, why would I outrank the competition? Because of my order of thinking and, and because of not, we've heard the phrase, ready, fire, aim. Mm. And that's what a lot of people do on YouTube. They're like, maybe kind of get ready. They shoot the video out there and they're like, how do I aim it? How do I title it or whatever? And in this case, you actually wanna get ready. You wanna aim and then you wanna fire and uh, then tags, keyword phrase. It's so, so people think keyword research is dead. No, it's not. If you have search volume, 
you are understanding how people are thinking based on your way of interpreting that data to create videos around the topics people are most interested in. Listen, to create the word choice they use, that's a huge one. So if you understand the viewer and you're putting the words they're using, that could be the exact search phrase or even a good marketer or a good writer is understanding. Some famous marketer said, the best marketers enter the conversation that's already happened in the viewer's mind. So you actually know you're doing things right when someone in the comments goes, oh my gosh, you read my mind. How'd you know this would be like my next question? And so it doesn't matter what platform you're on, but that's kind of a huge key to ranking. And then there's still things that in, in order of weight, the title carries the most weight, uh, description carries the next most weight, tags carry less weight, but you still can reinforce your title with words in your description. And, and all that to say is the data is clear. The video itself is the greatest factor, meaning you making good video content and, and, and this, so that people also don't get intimidated. Like, well, frick, if I'm not a great video editor, I don't have the best camera. No, no, no. It's not production value. It's content value. If you trim the fluff, if you get to the point, if you can build some curiosity in the beginning, hook the viewer and be brief, be bright, be fun and be done. I don't care if you shoot on a baked potato or, you know, a $55 <laughs> webcam. Like if the viewer, this is what you do on YouTube. You make a promise in the title and then you either do or you don't deliver it in the video. And that person isn't probably like judging the promise in the title. is not like, but wait a minute, your lighting wasn't very good. The promise in the title is like, I'm going to show you how to do this thing. And you're like, wow, that's like, are you shooting that on like a razor phone? Like that looks terrible, but at least I learned how to make the protein shake and that, well, it works. I feel great. And I'm putting on muscle like people, if you deliver that value. And so those are some of the thoughts of, of how we dominate ranking and I love this podcast topic because we just did a YouTube strategy workshop on like what's what's our you know 10 strategies for 2021. Number one is not even really a strategy, it's a statement, but it's the creator who understands the viewer best wins. And then mm -hmm. that's we go much deeper into how to understand the viewer. But that's period. Like the best copywriter, the best email marketer, the best any digital advertiser, like to the degree that you understand the person that you're marketing to is your advantage over the person who doesn't or just plays it generic or just tries to lean on software. And it goes, there's some great tools. We use vidIQ to do keyword research, to also do trend tracking and trend research. YouTube is, I heard one friend put it, they said it's, YouTube's summed up as human behavior and trends. It's what YouTube is, human behavior and trends. So we love like tools like vidIQ, but there's, I feel like Luke Skywalker in Star Wars A New Hope where he, he's in the X-Wing and he's on his way to blow up the Death Star and he's in the trench and he's like dodging TIE fighters, choo, choo, right? And he puts the, the goggles on that's gonna try to have him shoot the torpedo into that tiny little vent. And he's like, he's got the goggles on and then he's like, oh, I can't even use these, like, th what is this tech? And he pulls them off. And then it'll be ones like, use the force, Luke. And I think that's the best marketer right there is like, you have the goggles and you know how to use the technology and the tools, but sometimes you're like, forget the goggles, man. And you use the force. And that's that's the intuition, the study, the psycholo understanding psychology, the, the study of the greats, the study of the principles, and the combination of, of your life being shaped as a marketer to use the force and then boom, shoot the torpedo and blow up the Death Star. That's a special skill set. And I think that becomes the difference for those who understand, you know, really the nuances of YouTube content and then have really big results.
Man, amazing. Preaching. You're hitting all the things that I love. Customer research, Star Wars. <laughs> it's just <laughs> you're, you're hitting all the bases. Uh, to wrap up here, I'd love to take a peek at your swipe file, as it were, and get into some of your favorite videos or YouTube channels. Like, could you walk me through a few of your favorites and like the ones that you're just like, man, this is like the cream of the crop, you know, chef's kiss. Like, what does Sean Cannell think is an exceptional video or channel that he pays attention to? Yeah, a couple good ones. One for, I think everybody on here would like it if they haven't heard about him yet, is uh, Valuetainment by Patrick Bet David. He has got a great book called Your Next Five Moves. And I think one of the reasons why he wins is he's just, it's pure insane value from someone with like real credibility. It's built real businesses and runs like a 8,000 employee insurance company or something. And so like cream rises to the top no matter how many cups of coffee you pour. Like it's just really good. And when someone really knows what they're talking about, it's just a matter of time. And he's been cranking on it for a while. Nevertheless, the thumbnails are decent and titles and topics are good as well, but it just backs it up with insane value. On the other hand, a couple channels to give you my swipe file is there's two strategies to add a ton of value to your listeners that I like. I like trend surfing and influence surfing. And so, you know, surfing, I'm a horrible surfer, but the guy who got me into video, that original youth pastor is a surfer. He's a pastor in Oceanside at a church called Rhythm Church. Oceanside, California. And I went surfing with him. Now I'm terrible. I can't ever ride those waves, but I don't even know if a wave's coming. I don't have the arm strength to even like push up. It's embarrassing. And I'm, it's not even fun. I don't know why I go with him. It's like the worst day of my life. But Jeff, on the other hand, he sits there. He sees the waves that are coming. He spots trends. He spots, he spots waves. And when he sees the wave, he starts to paddle and he catches the wave. So when I say influence surfing and trend surfing, influence surfing is actually surfing People don't know you, but they know somebody of influence. And this happens on YouTube all the time. You might see a video that's like 10 richest person people's homes, but you also might see, so here's one of the swipe files, Evan Carmichael. So Evan Carmichael has built a channel, Tony Robbins' top 10 tips of success. Now this is happening into fair use law because he, he combines multiple clips from different sources, which is how you're able to do it. Still something to look into, but Jeff Bezos, 21 rules of success. So that's influence surfing. People don't know Evan Carmichael. They know Jeff Bezos. They know Tony Robbins. But now they know Evan Carmichael and he puts out these videos. And it's even, it, it's mind expanding because it, it speaks to the fact that there's a lot of different content formats you could do on YouTube. In this case, it's a compilation of other people's material. That's mm. interesting as a swipe file. Now, influence surfing could also be Charisma on Command. My friend Charlie's channel, Charisma on Command, another really cool channel teaches you about kind of like persuasion or how to like, if you talk in a room, if you're nervous or how to all kinds of stuff. And his thumbnails will oftentimes have Ellen in them, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, whoever, why? And what he does is yes, he has like clips and Conor McGregor. He'll talk about like five intimidation tactics from Conor McGregor. Again, very good content, but it's a voiceover. It's kind of edited together with B-roll and clips. There's a good swipe file as well. But what's he doing? If he was like, five ways to intimidate people. I don't even know if that's one of them, but you get me. And it was like Charlie talking head and him in the thumbnail. It's only going to go so far. But when it's Conor McGregor in the thumbnail and when it's actually, he's really intelligently breaking down lessons, same thing, influence surfing, millions of subscribers, millions of views. He's got a course called like Charisma University or something, millions of sales. So like, like just crazy. That's influence surfing. And then there's Phil DeFranco. I mentioned him earlier. He's got a four-day-a-week news show. His thumbnail is his face and usually two faces on his left or his right. 
It's also influence surfing, I suppose, but it's also news. So trend surfing is when everyone's talking about the pandemic, when everyone's talking about the stimulus, when everybody's talking about trends. So news shows, my friend Emily Baker just blew up because she's a lawyer. Uh, she's done she's trial attorney, but she does a lot of influencer stuff, settles, meaning literally like disputes between influencers and mm. brand deals and whatever. And that's actually her career. When, when she started talking about the public documents of like influencers suing, suing influencers or allegations and things, she grew 80,000 subscribers in the last few months. Same thing. It's wow. tapping into trending topics. It's tapping into influencers. And the mistake listeners could make right now is they think, well, I just don't want to be like chasing buzz and chasing trends, or I'm not just going to talk about random stuff that's unrelated to my industry. That's the art form. You tie trending stories into what's related to Patrick Bet David does that on Valuetainment. You, you, this is, I believe this is actually the modern skill set needed. Either you need a great marketer on your team or you got to become one. Because I've often heard too that the business's primary job, the business owner's primary job is marketing the business. The business owner's primary job should not be actually running the business. That should be automated. You should be working on the business, not in the business. When you're working on the business, one of the things you should be doing is marketing. Why? Because marketing and sales keeps the lights on. So if you're thinking about what's happening in the landscape of the world, what's happening, and Brendan Burchard did it this way. He did a video on how to develop grit. Seems maybe just basic in personal development, which is his niche. However, when you realize that it came out at the exact time that Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, was trending and was number one on the business charts, you uh -huh. realized he understood what was happening in his industry and his niche. And in the beginning of the video, he's like, so how do you develop grit? You know, you may have seen Angela Duckworth's book. It's pretty good, but we're not going to talk about it today. Here's my take. And so he tied into the book everyone was reading and talking about in his sub niche. So those are two strategies, trend surfing and influence surfing. And if you want to see those done at a world-class level, check out Evan Carmichael, Chris Command, Phil DeFranco, check out Valuetainment, or go to YouTube, search bar, and type in video podcasting. If you, if you go to the YouTube search bar and you type in video podcasting, you will probably see should my words not fall to the ground, a video with a picture in the top one, two, or three ranked spots of Joe Rogan's face on something about like the Joe Rogan podcast formula. This is an example on Think Media of how I used influence surfing to teach on video podcasting by using Joe Rogan as an example. Hmm. Breaking down that, hey, here's how you could video podcast. Here's some of the things he does. And just, and you get it. Now, here's, we're, this is, we're deep. When I first released that, everyone knows Joe, maybe the version 1.0 of that thumbnail when I released that video was me on one side and Joe on the other, because maybe they don't know the bald guy, Joe Rogan, but what they knew was, okay, Sean and Joe, I see them both. And I know Sean because I'm subscribed to the channel. But by the, once the video is aged and it's about reaching strangers, who the heck am I? They don't need to see me anymore. So that was actually 2.0 of the thumbnail two, three weeks later. We're playing at this. Is, this is the big leagues now, man. We're into some stuff. F flipping it. And, and to this day, that video ranks influence surfing, brings people in. And, and, and you'll notice, study that video because it's, it's also not done in any kind of like spammy or weird way. It's acknowledging the individual. It's honorably breaking down you know, who they are, what they do and what we can learn from them. And, and this is, 
this is news. It's kind of meaning like what is any any news site or news blog or whatever? It's the headlines. It's what are the who are people talking about? What are people talking about? What are the hot topics of the day? YouTube is human behavior and trends. If you can if you can tie in your business, your products, your nonprofit. My friend Ruslan, it would be one other person to put on there. A Ruslan is kind of a Christian commentary channel on pop culture and trends as well as doing Bible studies. And it's Ruslan KD. KD stands for King's Dream. And he's getting 1.6 million views a month, 88 uploads a month. That might scare you because he goes live and then he uses the YouTube editor to cut out the clips. So it's super fast workflow. So it's like hot story, hot story. And his videos will get a thousand views, 2000 views, and then a quarter million because mm-hmm. the right story with the right, you know, recently Chris Hogan left Dave Ramsey or had was fired from Dave Ramsey team because of moral conduct, salacious, ha- Dave's in the thumbnail. Chris is in the thumbnail. He's commentating on it. He pulls it in to speak to his audience in terms of what can we learn from this and whatever, because that's what he's building. But then it also is quickly getting that topic to market. And and his channel, he's just cracked $10,000 a month in AdSense. He makes another 5K in, in music royalty. He's doing brand deal stuff. He's building out a, a course on live streaming because his process is insane and it's really worth. So that's just another great example of trend surfing and influence surfing. And that's not the only way there's other, you know, when you're self-aware, maybe you're high ticket and you do something very specific in niche and you're like, I don't even want to reach everybody. Well, good. You know that, you know, that you just want to reach, like you only need 10 customers a year. And so if you just do one, it's not even about the views, but there's different things to consider. Those are some good channels to look at. And if you do want big reach, big influence, and then you want to also have big impact in your business, check out those channels and consider trend surfing and influence surfing. You heard it here on the everything is marketing (laughs) podcast. That's right, baby. I want to zero in. Amazing, amazing examples and insights. Just really, really quick because you mentioned it, it was sort of a, a big league tactic, but you guys had actually released the video of Joe Rogan video podcasting. And first you had your face with Joe, but then later you switched it to just Joe because initially you wanted to first appeal to your audience and know that it was sort of a familiar face but then later appeal to a broader audience based on who's searching and trending and being recommended. Is that correct? Correct. And, and just that, that a good marketer is going to remove friction. Thumb thumbnails with two people are okay, but thumbnails with one person is better Hmm. because there's not a lot of thumbnail real estate. So the best marketing message just has the least friction possible. So it was more crowded when Joe and I were both in there, you know, and words weren't as big or whatever. And, and so I think that, I mean, that's, and that's one of the reasons why. And so it's, and then it's that progression of like, for example, on video influencers, we've oftentimes here, like, it's a good, so we have an interview show and I've realized that some people have influence. So, and some people have amazing content, but nobody in our audience would know them. So here's what we eventually learned once they knew us that actually us alone in the thumbnail with some kind of promise or creative illustration was stronger than putting even somebody they don't recognize vice versa. If when we had Gary V on the show, nobody else needed to be in the thumbnail. It's like just Gary V alone. It just depends. So that's like understanding where you could try and crowd everything you want in the thumbnail. But sometimes, yeah, we, we get these romantic ideas like, but why, what, what any good messaging messaging 
should just be the essential ingredients to drive whatever result you're hoping to get. And so that can mess with people's egos too. Like, well, I want to be in the thumbnail too. All right. right. It's the question really should be, well, what's, what's just going to be most effective. That should always be the question. Like what is going to be mm-hmm. most effective because it's a progression. If the point of the thumbnail is just to get someone to click, if the point of the headline is to get the person to read the first word. So if the point of the video is to have Joe Rogan, then also they should probably see him during the hook, during the opening, but then they have to be bridged and introduced to me. And so you're thinking about a journey, a customer journey, a viewer journey. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of thoughts on that. It's amazing. Last question for you and I'll let you go. When I say everything is marketing, what does that mean to you? What, what comes to mind? I mean, everything is marketing. That's what it means to me. It, it's, <laughs> I have a son, six month old, and I'm feeding in this like gruel stuff. This like, it's kind of like cream of wheat mixed with these organic fruits that my wife Sonia is getting. But some of them are like avocado and potato mash. And so mush. And so, so some of them, he's into things. He's into it. And he like wants more bites. And some of them, man, it's a fight. Like it's, I'm like doing the airplane, like, like I'm like acting like a chimpanzee. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to get him to take an action. I'm trying to get the click-through rate of him opening his mouth so I can distribute this next. <laughs> so, so marketing, you know, to me is it's it's just everywhere. I think again, it's sometimes a very misunderstood term or or even considered scammy or 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 negative, but like we if you want a relationship, you're marketing yourself to try to get the attention, you're presenting yourself, you're trying to get the attention of somebody that you hope to be in a relationship with. And everything is marketing, again, whether it's a nonprofit or a message or a book or your car dealership or whatever, you got to know marketing, man, you could even be marketing to yourself. I mean, it's like, it's your self-talk. It's like, you're trying to reframe something in your own mind because you don't want to change your diet either. So you're, you're trying the better sales letter you can write to yourself (laughs) could sell you on the fact that I actually need to start doing bicep curls, as I mentioned earlier, because I'm not getting the guns. And so, man, everything is marketing. I think it's one of the most important skills. Really, no matter who you are, it's going to benefit you in every aspect of, of, of life. If you could become good at, at real marketing, ethical marketing, value-driven marketing, human-centric marketing. And so I agree, man, marketing is everything. I love it. Sean, Seriously, it's been a blast. It's been amazing. So many, so many insights and things we could pull out from here, but I really, really appreciate you sharing all the secrets, pulling out the big league stuff and uh, coming on and spending time with me today. I appreciate you, Corey. Thank you. Thanks again to Sean for coming on the show and sharing everything today. Don't forget to check out Sean's free YouTube masterclass and pick up his book, YouTube Secrets. I've watched the masterclass and also read his book when it first came out. Both are super practical and I can't recommend them enough. If you can spare a moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank him for sharing everything and let him know what you learned. That would go a long way for me just to, again, show that appreciation for him sparing time with me. Sean is a quote-worthy insights machine, but here are a few of my takeaways. There are essentially two strategies for YouTube, entertainment or education. I think this actually applies much more broadly than just YouTube, but this is a great framework nonetheless for thinking about the content that you can produce. Even more powerful than just creating entertaining or educational videos are entertaining videos that also educate you and educational videos that also entertain you. That is a recipe for success. I loved how he said that the creator who understands the viewer best wins. 
all marketing goes back to customer research. If you understand the viewer, the user, the customer, whoever the intended audience is, you can craft the best product and content for them. You can anticipate their needs. You can always be one step ahead of your competitors. Sean mentioned that it's actually the key to ranking high on YouTube, and it's the key to winning in every marketing strategy and channel. And finally, trend surfing and influence surfing. I love these tactics. These are probably the two most powerful tactics for any content in any business. This goes all the way back to borrowing someone else's audience. If you can leverage the popularity of a topic or person to your advantage, you drastically increase your chances of success. Again, not just YouTube, blogging, podcasting, newsletters, communities, you name it. Trend surfing and influence surfing are strategies that are here to stay for anyone and any kind of content. If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swipefiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.